This is July 8th, 2016 at Shippensburg Bible School, and this is Brother Roger Lewis's fifth class on the spiritual habits of the saints of God, which he has entitled, Making a Positive Ecclesial Contribution. Well, thanks, uh, Seth, and good morning, everyone. Are you missing something? They left you. Oh, that's tragic. Absolutely tragic, you know. Well, you know, sometimes this is what the truth demands. You need to be isolated from, you know, unhelpful influences, you know. So it could be that you've separated from them or that they've separated from you. Who knows? Who knows? Needs to be figured out later on. So what have we covered so far? We've covered these ideas. Where does the truth revolve around? God manifestation. We're here to learn about the Father and to manifest Him. What was the second thing we covered? If we're going to do that, We need to get our heads into the Word because the only way we can learn about God to manifest Him is by getting stuck into some good Bible study. If we're going to do Bible study so that God talks to us, then we better learn how to talk back to God, which is developing the power of prayer. Okay, so there's a bit of a sort of rhythm here. And then what did we do yesterday? We looked at how to develop the power of scriptural reasoning, spiritual reasoning by saying, what are those four steps? What's the problem? what Bible passages might be involved, what Bible principles are involved. Now, what would my overall Bible answer be to this problem? And to learn, remember, I think this is how I finished, don't ever trust your own opinion. Yeah, because we're much more affected by the world than we realize, and what we think might be a very shrewd opinion might be actually quite unlike what God actually says. So, I decided very early on in my uh, personal spiritual development that that would be the stand I would take, that I would want to say, before I decide about anything in life, can I prove it from Scripture? If I can't prove it from Scripture, then why ought I to have an opinion on it? And if I can't prove it from Scripture, should I even be doing it? So now the next stage is, which is really as we start developing in the truth, is the idea of making a positive ecclesial contribution. Because one of the things about the truth, and incidentally I think it's, it's a really big part of the truth, is how does God manifestation get seen? So when we talk about manifesting God, in what context do we do it? In what way do we do it? And the answer isn't, well, we're all going to stand up and go and lead our own individual lives manifesting God. No, God calls us into the body of Christ, the community of the saints, and the way in which we end up manifesting God is by living out the principles of the truth inside an ecclesia where we can contribute. Now, do you remember what we said the other day with regard to the principles of prayer, that when Jesus gave that model prayer, do you remember in Matthew 6, after this manner pray ye, he said, did he not, he said there were two two parts to, to prayer. Now, can you remember what they were? The first part was, exactly. The first part was focus on God, and the second part was then pray for yourself, which was really based on the Ten Commandments. Remember how the first four commandments were? In effect, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and soul and strength, and thou shalt then, second, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now come to the, um, come and have a look at the second, the epistle of John. You know the epistles of John right at the end. Just come and have a look at this passage about that idea, which says, 
And we're looking for the first of John chapter 4 and verses 19 to the end. So just an interesting reference to begin our consideration today because it's, I think, highly relevant to the idea of making an ecclesial contribution. So in the first of John 4 and verse 19, it says concerning God, we love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. Now that phrase in verse 21, he who loveth God loveth his brother also, is really what Jesus says in the Gospels when he says, on these two commandments hangs all the law and the prophets, thou shalt love the Lord thy God, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So that's really what verse 21 is saying, isn't it? That he who loves God, thou shalt love the Lord thy God, must also love his brother, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now, let me tell you why those two ideas are quite interesting. Tell me how, if, if you said, and just take away romance here, don't think about romance. If you said that you loved someone else, in fact, I'll make it easy for you. Imagine you said, I love my mum and dad. Prove it. How would you prove that you loved them, apart from simply saying it? How would you prove that you loved your mum and dad? Any thoughts? I'm sure all the mums and dads would be really interested to hear what this is going to be about, by the way. So, so how would you prove it? If you said, I really love my mum. Okay, good. So how would you demonstrate? How would you indicate? How would you prove that you love your mum? What would you do? Any thoughts? Yes. By doing helpful things without being asked. Yes, give me some illustrations, some working illustrations in the family house. Yes. Oh, by the way, I'm not taking all this down to tell your mother afterwards, so relax, you can say whatever you like. <laughs> um, doing chores and things, and then I was going to say being obedient and respectful. So doing chores, and if mum says to do something or not something, that you actually respect that, you honour that, you, you pay attention to that, and you actually will uphold that. By the way, that's a very good thing that sometimes, and we're all the same, we all go through that stage in life where we think that mum and dad don't know what they're talking about and that we know more. And I can promise you that one of the wisest things you'll ever do is do what they say anyway. Because later in life you'll think, you know what? I know now why mum said what she said. So I'm really glad that at the time I did it, even though I wasn't particularly convinced or particularly happy. So yes, being obedient and doing chores. Now here's my point. Now you can do that for someone else, can't you? You could say, well, I love my mother, and the way that I prove I love my mother is I'm helpful, I contribute to the chores of the household, I keep my room tidy, I bring my washing out, I actually help with the, you know, with the, with the, with the, with the garden, uh, and when mum asks me to do stuff, I obey and do it. Those are all proofs that you love your mother. And you might even go further than that. You might say, actually, I remembered my mother's birthday. I remembered to say happy birthday to her. Um, I did something special by making her a tea one night. Maybe she might not want you to make a tea, but let's, you know, whatever. But here's the point. You can do that for other people, can't you? We can do lots of things for each other. Question. How do you love God? 
Sorry? By? Yes, but my point is, the proof of loving your mother is that you did something for her. What can you do for God? Yes, and so you could say that, that that's true. And if we manifest him, we're, we're, we're honoring him and we're showing our love. But my point is you can't physically do anything for God. You can't do the chores. You can't do anything in the house. You can't actually do anything for God. So what I think this is what John is saying is how do we prove that we love God? And the answer is yes. Yes, but what does John say? First of John chapter 4, verse 21. How do we prove that we love God? Yes. By loving each other, God is in one. I think that's what that verse is saying, is the way in which we actually demonstrate that we love God is that we love our brother and our sister. We love our neighbor. That's the way that we prove that we love God. Because after all, when you think about it, how do we manifest God? By living the principles of God. To whom will we manifest those principles? To those that we deal with. How do you show kindness to God? Well, we don't really, but we show kindness to our neighbor, by which we indicate to God that we are manifesting the spirit of kindness. But we don't show the kindness to him, we show the kindness to our neighbor. We show care to our neighbor, we show consideration to our neighbor. When you're going to show patience towards someone else, you don't show patience to God, you show patience to a neighbor. But by exhibiting patience to a neighbor, prove that you love God and that you're manifesting those qualities. So I think that's what John is saying. So these two commandments that you must love the Lord thy God and thy neighbor as thyself. That's the Old Testament. John says, actually, the way that we do love God is by loving our neighbor. We demonstrate to the Father that we love his principles enough to live by them in our interactions with other people. Does that make sense? That's how we prove it. Actually, do you remember those words of Christ? Um, in Matthew chapter 25, and then the king shall say, depart from me, you didn't do this, and you didn't feed me and clothe me, and, and, the, and, and the, the people that are there at the judgment seat will say, well, you know, how did we do that? The ones that did feed and clothe, how do we do that? And he says, inasmuch as ye did it unto, can anyone finish the quotation? One of the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me, says Christ in Matthew 25. Well, it's the same with the Father. Inasmuch as you have, with one another, loved each other, you've done it to me, says God. That's the proof. I take that as the evidence that you are manifesting me and that you do love me. But in fact, at the practical reality, we show our love by what we contribute to other people. And where do we do that? And the answer is we actually do it in the ecclesia. So the ecclesia is the place, the body of Christ is the place where we in fact demonstrate God manifestation towards one another in accordance with the teaching of the Father. So I've just got three, four points on the screen here, which are different ways in which the New Testament particularly talks about the ecclesia. And Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4 all refer to the ecclesia as a body. It's like a body, says the Apostle Paul. The ecclesia is like a body. It's made up of different parts. Now, come and have a look at maybe just one of those, the 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and let's just work our way through each of these. 
in terms of the power of those particular analogies. So in the first of Corinthians 12, we have the apostle's um, description of the ecclesia in the context of it being like a body, which illustrates the importance of good nourishment and also the need for sound growth. So this is what Paul says in the first of Corinthians chapter 12. Um, Perhaps reading from verse 12. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. And if the foot shall say, because I'm not the hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I'm not the eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? And if the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. So what do you think verses What do you think verses 15 and 16 are talking about? If the foot shall say, because I'm not the hand. What do you think that's talking about? If the foot shall say, I'm not the hand. What's the spirit of these ones here? Or verse 16, if the ear shall say, because I'm not the eye. So what's all that about? What's the spirit of these? Any thoughts? What's the Apostle Paul teaching? So someone who is an ear says, hey, I'm not an eye. Oh, well, because I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body. What's the spirit behind that? What's the attitude behind that? Yep. Exactly so. In other words, this is someone in the meeting who really would like to be something other than what they are. Okay? So they're in the ecclesia and they say, oh, I'm only an ear. I'd really like to be an eye, but I'm not an eye. Oh, well, I don't really belong to the body then. I've got nothing good to give because I, I really would like to be an eye, but I'm not. And so therefore, I know that I'm, I'm an ear, but I'm, I'm useless. I'm worthless. I, I've got nothing to give. Now, by the way, that attitude is really self-centered, isn't it? And, and the problem is, and, and this is a really important thing. I, I don't know whether you've ever thought about this. I'm imagining that probably you haven't. But you know that as we grow up into the truth and we we get baptized and we join in ecclesia, do you know that one of the first things we've got to come to a really good understanding of is who are we? Are we ears or eyes or nose or feet or fingers or toes or hands or what are we? Have you ever stopped to ask yourself, if you are baptized, what's your job in the ecclesia? And even if you're not baptized, have you ever thought, if one day I might be baptized, what would my job in the ecclesia be? And part of that is trying to actually have a good, honest, realistic assessment of your abilities that you can contribute to the truth service. And it's no point imagining that you'll be something that you're not. 
So the question is, if you were baptised, what would you do in the ecclesia? Have you ever thought about that? Because I think what's, what happens is young people particularly, they grow up and they get baptised and they arrive in the ecclesia and they haven't got a clue what they do. Because they've never thought about how they might contribute and what, what best skill they could use. Are you good at organisation? Are you practical? Have you got both a mind and an intention to sit down and get stuck into the scriptures and become a teaching priest? Are you good at singing? Could you be involved in some way in that matter? Are you good at talking to people? You know, it's a funny thing, but in every group, don't you think there are some people that, that find it easier to talk than others? If we were to take all the people in this room right now, and I said to you, vote amongst you which of the people you think are the best people at just making conversation. Some people just seem to know how to do it, don't they? You know, the first time I came to Shippensburg was the old dining hall. It was a big room. Uncle Bob, who's at the back, can remember. It was a massive big dining room. There was hundreds and hundreds of people he here. I was here on my own. And, and you might not believe this, but I'm actually quite shy. Put me in front of an audience with my Bible, and I'll go lickety-split. Because I lose myself once I've got my Bible open. I'm okay as long as I've got my Bible. But without that, I really need my wife's hand to hold on to. And I arrived for the first time in Shippensburg without a wife. Big mistake. And all these people were there, and I got a plate of food, and I went to a table, and I said, is there any spare seat at this table? They said, oh no, this is all booked up. Okay. Is there any seat at this table? No, this is just our family. Oh, okay. Is there any seat? And I went through about six tables to try and find a seat. I was terrified. because I actually don't find it easy to go up and say hello to people for the first time because I'm actually quite shy. You wouldn't think that, would you? But I am. But don't you find there are some people that just seem to be able to just walk up to anyone and make conversation? They're just good. They're good at it. They don't have a problem with it. Now, don't you think that sort of person would make an excellent preacher of the truth in ecclesial life? Someone that should be on the Gospel Proclamation Committee and involved in how the Ecclesia might preach the truth because they've just got that way with people that they could talk to anyone about the truth. So here's my question. What member of the body are you? Have you ever thought about it? Are you an ear? Are you a nose? Are you a liver? Because the wonderful thing about a body is, incidentally, the body needs all those things and all those parts. But the question is, what's your part? So I think part of learning to make a contribution to the ecclesia is that every young person, as they grow up into the truth and into ecclesial life, need to be able to say to themselves, what gifts do I have that I can bring to serve the body of Christ? And then you notice the apostle goes on to say in verse 18, God has set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. He's put us in an ecclesia for a purpose. Incidentally, I believe that. Um, in the days of the apostles, there was an ecclesia in each city. So what happened if you weren't happy with the ecclesia or the members in your ecclesia? What did you do? Sorry? And the answer is you couldn't. There was only one ecclesia in the city. So what did you have to do? You had to sit down and figure it out and work those problems through with your brothers and sisters for the good of the body. So what we don't do is say, oh, I don't like these people, oh, I don't like this ecclesia, I'll buzz off and go to another ecclesia that suits me. 
No, 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 no. It says here, God hath set the members in the body as it hath pleased him. You are in the ecclesia you, ha- you are by the providence of God. Is that a finger being raised? Sorry, it was just, it was going like that. And I wasn't sure whether you were making a bit of doctrine or whether you were saying, can I please speak? Can I please speak? Okay. So I believe that we're in the ecclesia where we are because God put us there. So before you say, I think I might shift. Um, really? Has God asked you to shift? Why are you shifting? Every ecclesia has got the capacity for us to grow spiritually by facing life's problems honestly right there. That's where the Father put us. Now, I have shifted ecclesias. I've changed ecclesias, and we did so completely unexpectedly. What happened is a problem arose in another ecclesia in another part of the country, and funny enough, it was at a Bible school. We had several people coming up to us saying, we need help. We really need help or our ecclesia's in trouble. And two couples, Pauline, my wife and I, and another couple, from uh, they're both from the same ecclesia, transferred to another ecclesia and an, into another island in order to go to that ecclesia to help out. And we didn't expect to do, but there was a whole set of circumstances where we thought, you know what, I think God's asking us to do this. Otherwise, I never would have gone. Because I firmly believe that we're in the ecclesia that God put us. On this occasion, I felt there was enough evidence to say, God's asked me to go to this meeting. And I went, and that was 30 years ago, and I've never shifted since. But you don't just buzz around the ecclesial world as it suits. Or, by the way, more for more, uh, another story, we had a couple that turned up that turned up in our ecclesia, a young couple, don't even know where they're from. Actually, I do. I think they're from the UK, so all the Americans and Canadians can breathe a sigh of relief. But they were on holiday. They got married and they were on holiday. And when I asked, what are you doing? They said, oh, we're just on holiday. How long are you going on holiday for? Mm, about two years. Two years on holiday? So what are you actually doing for the body of Christ while you're on holiday? Well, Nothing. We're on holiday. No, no, no. You're a, you're a brother and sister in the truth. How are you contributing to the ecclesia? And the answer is they weren't. They were simply swanning around the world doing nothing. That's not what the truth's about. That's not what God manifestation is about. The truth is about growing up, being baptized, making a commitment to serve God with all our heart and all our soul and all our strength and grabbing hold of the truth with both hands and saying, right, I'm in the ecclesia, what can I do? Let's start with saying, what can I do? What are the skills that I could do to bring in loving service to the community of Christ? Let's get cracking. And if you get married, you go away and have your honeymoon and you get stuck into ecclesial life. That's where your marriage will flourish. You don't flourish by disappearing off into the wild blue yonder for the next two years while you seek to discover yourself. You'll never find yourself out there in the world. You'll find who you are by getting back into the ecclesia. Now, the ecclesia is a body and it needs nourishment. So, can I just leave you with that question? Have you ever thought about what your real skills are that you could offer in the Lord's service? It's part of what you need to do and to be honest about it. And notice, by the way, just before we go off Corinthians, he goes on to say in verse 21, and the eye cannot say to the hand, now this is a different idea, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable 
Upon these we bestow more abundant honour, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need. But God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honour to that part which lacked, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. So it isn't just a case of a brother or a sister saying, well, I'm not an iron, so I don't feel involved. That's actually self-centred, really. But also, says the apostle, it's no good you saying, to use his particular analogy, it's no good you saying, um, I am an eye, and so um, I don't have any need of the hand. Actually, that's not a very good idea. So if the first person believes they're not good enough, what's the second person like here? Yeah, they think they're superior to everyone. I'm so good, I don't need anybody else. Oh, yes, you do. You need your brothers and sisters. And the people that are too confident about their own abilities or the importance of their own contribution have not appreciated that ecclesial life demands all sorts of different types of people who contribute some very public things and some in a very private way to ecclesial life. So seeing the ecclesia as a body is is a helpful idea towards that. Here's the second idea, is that a number of other New Testament passages describe the ecclesia as a house. Now, come and have a look at that middle one, the um, first of Timothy chapter 3, and just see what the apostle uh, says in the context of describing the ecclesia as a house, because it's a different analogy, isn't it? Um, the idea of a house conveys different principles to the analogy of, uh, of a body. And just see what it says in the first of Timothy chapter 3 at the end of the chapter. First of all, what he's written about is um, bishops, chapter 3, verse 2, and deacons, uh, chapter 3, verse 8. And then at the end of that he says, verse 14, These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the ecclesia of living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So what we're being told here is is that Paul wrote to Timothy to say, there's various things that need to be done in ecclesial life. These people should do this. These people should do this. He also talks about the role of, uh, of, of others in ecclesial life. And then at the end of all that, he said, this is all about learning how to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the ecclesia of living God. So how do you know that God's alive in the ecclesia? How do we know that God is living in the ecclesia? That it is the ecclesia of living God. Well, you see what verse 16 says? Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness, or we might say God manifestation. God was manifest in the flesh, in the form of his Son, justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. And I think that what Timothy is really saying is, do you want to see God manifestation at work? Do you want to see God manifestation? Go look inside the ecclesia, because that's where God manifestation is. This is the ecclesia of the God that is alive. And how does God live in the ecclesia? He lives in the people. 
And when you go to an ecclesia and there's a Sunday school and a thriving CYC and strong gospel proclamation and fantastic Bible classes and wonderful prophecy study days and there's, there's, there's special singing nights and music nights and family nights and Israel nights and the whole ecclesia is, is bursting with joy and excitement for the truth and everyone's flat out doing their part because they've figured out whether they were an eye or a nose or a hand or a foot. That whole ecclesia is alive. But what's really alive, says Paul to Timothy, is God. God's alive in that ecclesia. This is where God manifestation is seen. Right there inside the ecclesia. So question, is your ecclesia like that? Do you walk into your ecclesia and feel a little bit of a tingle of excitement? Did I want the meeting? Well, if you do, great. How are you going to keep that tingle going? And if you don't feel that excitement in your ecclesia, what could you do to bring it? What could you do to make that happen? What could you do to care in loving for your neighbour so that your ecclesia does feel like that one day? What's needed? Have you thought about what's needed? And what can you contribute? So the house of God, says, says Paul and Timothy, is the place, in fact, where God manifestation is seen in the very activities of ecclesial life, in the midst of the community of the saints. I feel that's a really, a really wonderful thought to contemplate, that it's in ecclesial life that in fact God manifestation is seen. Because otherwise what we do is we come to a Bible school and some brother from the other side of the world stands up and talks about God manifestation and we all nod and we all go away and we, we haven't quite grasped that God manifestation is really nothing more and nothing less than living the truth inside your ecclesia week in, week out and inside your family week in, week out. Do that and God manifestation is at work in your life. That's all you've got to do. But you do have to do it. Otherwise... We're not manifesting the Father, we're simply talking about manifesting the Father. Now here's the third way in which uh, the New Testament talks about the Ecclesia. It talks about the Ecclesia as a city. And so you might remember Revelation 21 talks about the holy city of God, which is really the Ecclesia. Um, just come to that first reference, Psalm 87, and um, see what it says. Because there's one just little interesting idea I wanted to uh, share there out of that 87th Psalm. In Psalm 87, it says, verse 1, His foundation is in the holy mountains. Yahweh loveth the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. Glorious things are spoken of thee, O city of God. Now just think about verse 2 for a minute and tell me what you think it means. Just read it. So remember, good Bible study is based on good Bible reading. You, you won't need any Hebrew word. So just read verse 2 and just say, what do, you think, what do you think the psalmist is saying? Yahweh loveth the gates of Zion more than any dwellings in Jacob. Now what does that mean? Tell me what you think that means. Yep. Okay, I think that's that was well said. 
Can you just speak speak that up a bit a bit louder? Yahweh loves the gates of Zion as a symbol for the ecclesia more than all the dwellings in Jacob or than any dwelling in Jacob, meaning any individual family. I mean, obviously the Father loves us all. But I think what the psalm is saying is that God loves the ecclesia, the community of the saints, more than any one particular dwelling of the families of the saints. So the ecclesia is important. And this, the next verse, Psalm 87 verse 3 says, what is the ecclesia? It's the city of God. It's God's special city. Now, with a city, what do you need to guard most of all? Any thoughts? What do you need to guard with a city? Uh, yes, burglars. So how do you stop burglars in a Bible city? You use gates. You've got to guard the gates. The gates of the ecclesia. Now, in today, what are the burglars that come into an ecclesia and might burgle the ecclesia? What's the modern-day equivalent of burglars in an ecclesia? And what's the modern-day equivalent of gates? Any thoughts on that? How would, you, how would you describe what a burglar is in ecclesial life today? And what a gate might be? Yeah. The world could be a burglar because it takes the truth from us. So how does the world tiptoe through the gate into the ecclesia? How does it do that? In what ways what might, might, might we see that burglar inside the ecclesia? Any thoughts? Yeah, we let it in. Yep. And because, remember, as we said right at the start of these studies, because how we think is much more affected by the world that we live in than we realize, we walk back into the ecclesia ourselves and we bring the thinking of the, of the world into the ecclesia and how we behave. So I remember, by the way, and we've talked about this before, I remember being in an ecclesial meeting and there was a difficulty with some children that were making, uh, let's say, perhaps too much noise in the memorial meeting. In fact... When you get to the stage where you've got a child running up and down the central aisle of the moral meeting in the middle of the uh, emblems, would you say that's maybe, you know, a little bit too noisy? Yes. A parent somewhere should be yanking that child out and dealing with it because you don't have little children running up and down the aisle in the middle of the breaking of bread. But, but apparently it wasn't noticed because the child was left to run. So to, at a business meeting... An older brother said that he was concerned about some of the children not being properly controlled and that that was affecting the, the spirit of the memorial meeting. And then people were going to make comments on it in the business meeting. Now what was interesting is that about seven people in a row made comments. And you know that without fail, every one of them said one of two words in terms of what they said. Anyone like to guess the two words? Either of the two words. Each person made a contribution and they said either... I think or I feel. And not one of them said, well, the scripture says. Not one of them said, well, God says. Not one of them said, well, the Bible says. 
It was, I think I feel, I think I feel, I think I feel, I think I feel, I think I feel. That's actually the world walking in through the gate, isn't it? That's humanistic thinking being let right through the front door into the ecclesia, and now everyone in the ecclesia, in an ecclesial business meeting, opens their mouth and out comes humanism. Not scripture, humanistic thinking. And so once everyone had said what they thought and what they felt, then the ecclesia says, well, that's terribly interesting now. Shall we open our Bibles and see what actually God requires? Let's see if we can get a Bible solution to this problem and decide there what we ought to do about the children. So yes, there's lots of ways that the ecclesia, the city of God, could be burgled. So the gates have to be guarded. And incidentally, the gates have to be guarded against two things. Wrong doctrine and wrong practice. That's what, that's what the gates are being guarded for. That if this is the city of God, we don't want wrong doctrine coming into the ecclesia and we don't want, we don't want wrong practice coming into the ecclesia. So we're guarding about those two particular things. And that's what arranging brethren looking to do. Is the doctrine sound and is the conduct wholesome? And those two things are what ecclesias are guarding. But guess what? If we say, oh, well, that's the arranging brethren's job. No, 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 no. Every single member of an ecclesia should be guarding the gates. So if any one of us sees something that is actually wrong in terms of the doctrine or teaching of the scripture or wrong in terms of the conduct and behavior of the Spirit of Christ, then we've got a duty to say something about it because we're guarding the city of God. This is God's city. And God loves that city more than any one of our individual families. Which, by the way, means this also. If God loves the gates of Zion more than the dwellings of Jacob, what you can't say is, well, I love the truth and I'm interested in the truth, but I actually get more by being at home. I won't go to Bible class tonight because Bible class tonight is Brother X. I would get a lot more out of the Bible if I stayed at home and read my Bible at home. Yes, but God loves the city of Zion not your dwelling in Jacob. And we don't go to the Bible class simply to get something out of Brother X. We go to contribute something to the ecclesia. It's about making a positive contribution, remember. And if all we do when we go to the meeting is say, well, I don't get anything out of it, again, our spirit's wrong. It's not about getting out, it's about putting in. So, so our focus has to be that we're committed to the ecclesia and to the, the guardianship of the ecclesia and recognizing that there is joy in assembling together with our brothers and sisters because that's, that's where the rub and smooth of life happens. You know, if we simply had to live the truth in isolation by ourselves, we'd have a pretty good time of it because we, we think we're great. You know where we're really tested on what we believe and how we behave? Coming up against people in the meeting who aren't quite the same as us. Learning to figure it out, learning to work that through, debating with brothers and sisters. You know, one of the amazing things about the truth, and you might know this within your ecclesia, I know it in mine, do you know that if you look at an ecclesia, most ecclesias, if you really looked at the people in that ecclesia, you'd say that outside of the truth, there's no way these people on it would ever get together. True? Chalk and cheese, woof. In most ecclesias, there are people that are so different in personality and background and culture and style and thinking, but what binds them together is the power of the book. And without the power of the book and without the desire to manifest God in our lives, we'd never be together. But that's what ecclesial life's about, learning to work together with people who are sometimes 100% different to us. But that's good. That's exactly how we develop 
the, the qualities of Christ in our life. That's why Yahweh loves the ecclesia, because he knows that in that place, you will learn the principles of God manifestation. You don't live it out in isolation. You don't go into a monastery. You live in the ecclesia, and you make your contribution in that place, and we guard that place. And lastly, the Bible says that the ecclesia is a bride. So Isaiah 62 and Ephesians 5 and Revelation 19 describe the ecclesia as a bride. Come and have a look at Ephesians chapter 5, because perhaps it's the most famous one of those passages. And do you remember what Ephesians 5 says? Uh, just a couple of thoughts about what the Apostle Paul says here, considering the ecclesia as a bride. So in Ephesians 5 and verse 22, it says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the ecclesia. He's the saviour of the body. Therefore, as the ecclesia is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. So if we're the bride, the ecclesia is the bride, and we're asked to submit ourselves to our husband, to be in subjection to our own husband, and to recognize him as the savior of us, then what does that mean in ecclesial life? That we want to be guided by the spirit and the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says at the end of this whole story, verse 32, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning not wives and husbands, but concerning Christ and the Ecclesia. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself. And the wife, see that she reverence her husband. So we're the bride of Christ and we're asked to reverence Christ, to submit to Christ, to obey Christ. So question, do you know the commandments of Christ so that you can obey them? Well, if you don't know the commandments of Christ, how would you know to obey them? Now, incidentally, in our statement of faith, we have three sections of the statement of faith. Anyone know what the three parts of a statement of faith are? Anyone know what the three parts of a statement of faith are? Well, most ecclesias have an ecclesial constitution, and at the back of that constitution generally is what's called their statement of faith. Most of us meet on the same statement of faith all over the world. Anyone know the name of the statement of faith we do meet on? Yes. Okay, good, a bit, of a bit of a tongue twister, isn't it? So the, the Birmingham Amended Statement of Faith, correct. That's the statement of faith that central fellowship ecclesias meet on worldwide. Wherever you meet in the, in the brotherhood worldwide, that's the statement of faith that we meet on. But behind that statement of faith, there are three parts to it. Truths to be received, doctrines to be rejected, and you know, I know the third part? of the statement of faith? The commandments of Christ. So if we got to obey our husband, who's Christ, and reverence our husband, who's Christ, because we're the bride, then what we're really being asked to do is to obey the commandments of Christ. Good start to that would be to learn what the commandments are. So I said to a group of young people somewhere else, in terms of the commandments of Christ, do you know, do you know what I think a terrific idea is? Get a statement of faith, Get the commandments of Christ, write the first commandment out, three copies of that commandment. Where do you put the three copies? So on a piece of paper, the first of the commandments of Christ. So Robert Roberts lists either 52 or 104 of them, depending on which version you've got. 
But 52 is quite good actually because it's sort of like one commandment a week, isn't it? So you write out the first commandment, three copies. And I suggested to this group of young people that they put those three pieces of paper in the following places. Number one, over the top of your bed. So when you go to bed at night, the last thing you see is the commandment of Christ that you're supposed to be thinking about obeying and living. And the second copy you put on the inside of your bedroom door so that as you walk out in the morning, the first thing you see is that commandment of Christ. And the third one, if you had permission from your parents, is to actually put it in the bathroom on the mirror. So when you walk in to the bathroom, instead of seeing your own smiling face, well, you still do, well, it may not even be smiling, but you see your face, but above where your face is, oh, there's the commandment of Christ. That's right. I'm supposed to be thinking about that. Now imagine if you did that every week, so that every morning you got up, you walk out the door, there's the commandment of Christ, you go into the bathroom, there's the commandment of Christ, you go to bed at night, there's the commandment of Christ, and for a whole week you see that commandment, and you think about it, and every day you say, I'm going to practice that, I'm going to think about that, I'm going to try and live that, and at the end of the week, you take those three pieces down, you look up your statement of faith, you write the second one up three times, you put it up on, next to the bed, next to the, on the door, in the bathroom, and for a year, you do nothing other than Practice the commandments of Christ. That's how wives submit to husbands in the sense of knowing what the husband teaches in the spirit of us being the ecclesia as a bride. We reverence Christ by in fact knowing his commandments and seeking to practice them. So I've run out of time to say this really in detail, but I'll just show you what we do in our ecclesia. Um, I'll show you visually if I've got a copy of it here somewhere. And then I'll show you on screen. So this is our what's called our Ecclesia's core values. So you won't be able to read any of this, but on the top, what can you see? It's just a circle, and what the circle says at the top is it says that the, that the core purpose of our Ecclesia is that the Bible is the only authoritative revelation of God's mind and purpose. It declares that Yahweh is perfect and supreme, and his purpose is paramount, and his purpose is to manifest himself in his family. That's what the truth's all about. And then when you open this up, having declared that, that God, that's God's purpose, to be manifested in the family, when you open up the inside, it says, now take that purpose at the top, which is still there, and now how many sections come below that? Can you count them? So there's five key sections that drop off below that. And those sections are matters of worship, matters of learning, matters of order, matters of service, and matters of witness. The reason why we came up with those five ideas in our ecclesia is because I believe there is scriptural proof for each of those areas of activity in ecclesial life. That there are matters of worship, matters of learning, matters of order, matters of service, and matters of witness. And so each of those, we then have a core value attached to that. That serves our main core value, and then below that, we have a list of what the objectives of that core value are, and finally, how that's actually outworked in ecclesial life. Now, the reason why we do this is because, you know, when people meet in an ecclesia, if I asked you this question, do you reckon your ecclesia's doing well at the moment? Um, uh, well, is it being successful? Um, uh, well, how would you know what success was? What's the purpose of the ecclesia? Um, uh, 
Well, if you don't know the purpose of an ecclesia, you'll probably never figure out whether it's tracking well because you can't benchmark it to anything because you don't know what it's trying to do. But if you knew what the ecclesia was trying to do, which is to manifest the Father, and there are key parts of ecclesial life where that work will in fact occur, now you could make a contribution in those areas. So just to remind you, so here's the key things. If God manifestation is the essential doctrine, which we believe it is, then there are matters of worship and matters of witness. That's really inside, and that's to those outside. There's matters of learning, and there's matters of service, which is actually, it's all real to learn the truth, but we've also got to practice it. And lastly, there's matters of order. An ecclesia needs to have a certain set of decor, an amount of decorum and order and process in the ecclesia in order for everything to flourish and work well. So that's how our ecclesia operates. So when we talk about making a contribution in the ecclesia, I think that one of the things you could ask yourself is, is would I be good at witness? Am I good at serving? Would I be good in organization? Am I good at expounding the, the, the Bible or teaching Sunday school? Because there's lots of different ways in which matters of learning can happen. And lastly, in matters of worship, we all participate in matters of worship, but could I do more? So can I commend to your attention that thought in terms of today? Have you ever thought about what you both can and should contribute to an ecclesia? If you haven't, now's a good time to start thinking about that and thinking about what talents you could devote to the service of ecclesial life because it's in the ecclesia that God manifestation is seen and we prove finally by loving our neighbor that we have loved God also.